Welcome back to Commodity Conversations. This podcast is brought to you by the team from Mercado.com.au. We are a team of agricultural market analysts, and we like to use data to form opinions on markets and the general agricultural space. These informal conversations are generally long-form discussions, about 20 to 40 minutes long, where we discuss events or factors in the agricultural space with a particular bias towards Australian agriculture. These discussions are either with our internal team of analysts or they are with some special guests. We hope you enjoy the conversation and gain some insights. If you've got any questions or if you want to suggest some ideas to us, please get in contact in the usual places, on, on email, on Twitter, wherever you uh, follow us. Before we jump into it, I just want to say a big thank you to one of our supporters. Without our supporters, this wouldn't be possible. Today's podcast supporter is Cleaver's Meat. For a long time, Cleaver has been well known for producing fantastic quality meat raised on good Australian farms. Quality has always been at the centre of their business. And they've made a big change now. As well as offering the normal prime cuts, you know, your steaks, etc. They've actually moved into convenient ready meals. We don't always have the time to do, you know, a nice big slow cooked roast or, you know, steak and veggies. And sometimes we've just got to get something quick and tasty. And uh, this is a good thing that they've moved into uh, uh, convenient ready meals because we know the quality that they've taken with their prime cuts will be transitioned into these ready meals. So you can actually get something that is good and healthy. For example, they've got some pretty good beef hot dogs, chicken nuggets, and a new lasagna that you can just shove in the oven and it's ready, you know, 20 minutes later. So if you've not got much time on your hands and you want something uh, quick and tasty to eat, then definitely look up uh, Cleaver's Organic Products. Uh, you can get them in all the usual places, these Coles, Willies, and those uh, independent stores. So let's just get on to the conversation. Good afternoon, all. This is uh, Andrew Whitelaw, and we've got Matt Dalglish from Mercado. We're joined today with two of our partners from Western Union Business Solutions, Stephen Dooley and Trent Osmond. We wanted to talk a little bit about coronavirus, looking mainly at the more the bigger picture economic side of things. Rather than looking at the health side, we'll leave that to the millions of uh, amateur epidemiologists on Twitter and wherever else, and we'll focus on what we know, which is uh, which is markets. But we thought Western Union were an ideal company to get on board for this chat because they're they're exposed to a huge range of of different businesses, you know, including agriculture, but also everything from uh, from shoes to uh, to uh, imports of of everything you could think of, really. So. I'll let you guys introduce yourselves, uh, Trent and Stephen. Uh, Trent, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, thanks for having us, uh, Andrew and Matt. Um, always good to be uh, talking to to the Mercado team. Um, so, as you mentioned, uh, Trent Osman from Western Union. Um, I support uh, our uh, our go-to-market team. Um, you know, helping you know importers and exporters, uh, particularly on the agri, food, and beverage space. Um, you know, kind of navigate uh, you know international payments. Um, you know, cross-border, cross-currency exposures and, you know, always can to share, um, you know, what we say is best practice out there in the market. And Stephen Dilley, give us a bit of an intro. Yeah, great uh, to be on today. Thank you for the uh, opportunity. Uh, my name's Steve Dooley and I'm the currency strategist here at uh, Western Union Business Solutions. I look after the uh, whole APAC region, so New Zealand, Australia, Singapore and uh, Hong Kong. And my role here really is to help our staff and our clients uh, understand what the big drivers are in financial markets and how that might play out and really also to help them with their risk management uh, strategies and uh, help them uh, mitigate their uh, FX risk. 
Right. Oh, this is this is we're trying to get this a short one, so let's just jump straight into it. Start of the year, we we commenced 2020. What 70 cents to the US dollar, and most banks were forecasting what 72 and above. Uh, Dooley, you can give us a bit of an update on on those uh, forecasts. Uh, where, where are we sitting now, and how did we get here? Look, um, you're you're right. So we certainly started the year with a lot more optimism. We'd seen um, a general improvement in global economic activity at the end of 2019, particularly out of China. Um, after two very tough years in China, they'd started to see a recovery in um, industrial output there, and they'd really been um, seeing a bit of a coordinated recovery right around the world. Um, the um, IMF had said they were cautiously optimistic for the start of uh, 2020, and uh, looking at some of the data that we've seen from uh, Australia, um, GDP for the um, final quarter uh, was up at uh, 2.2%. Uh, that was a big jump from the uh, 1.3% we saw annualised in the June quarter. So right around the world, um, the uh, global uh, optimism levels had uh, risen. We'd seen a pickup in, as I say, in uh, economic output. And that's part of the reason why uh, we saw forecasts probably starting to trend a little bit higher. The Australian dollar extremely sensitive uh, to changes in uh, economic growth expectations. And so that's why uh, we started the year um, certainly with a uh, little bit more uh, hope out there uh, throughout the uh, analyst community. Thanks for that, Stephen. Um, so Matt Dalgleish here, listeners, um, those that didn't know, actually, I started my career out um, trading currency, uh, did that for about 12 years. So I've got a little bit of background there. But just to follow up on what you said there, Steve, so we saw that kind of positive outlook at the start of the year. But um, since then, we've seen quite a risk-averse uh, attitude. And, and you know, the currency, the Aussie dollar is one of those currencies that does um, very much respond to uh, risk sentiment around the globe. Did you, do you or um, maybe even Trent want to give us a background there as to um, why the Aussie dollar has taken such a hit, and particularly in the last uh, week or so, this big sell-off we've seen from 67 cents down to the low 61s just in this last week or so? Oh, look, I'll uh, look after that one. But um, as you say, the Australian dollar is really driven by global growth expectations. To dull it down to the simplest uh, view of the world, the Australian uh, economy is very much driven by exports, iron ore, coal, um, agriculture, of course, and uh, to a lesser extent, uh, travel and, uh, and education as well. But really, it's uh, iron ore and uh, coal that uh, drives the majority of exports in Australia. And so the, the, the view of the Australian dollar is that um, it's going to be driven by demand for industrial resources. So at times when the global economy is starting to improve, uh, you tend to see the Australian dollar improve at times that you see the uh, global economic uh, uh, story start to roll over uh, and the Aussie dollar underperforms. So that's the basic DNA of the uh, Australian Currency. So, the so, last so Dooley, two or three weeks. In, in terms of this, what? How do we compare these, these recent falls and I guess the the sentiment towards the market? How are we comparing towards like let's say for instance the GFC might be a good a good sort of parallel sort of example of uh, of, of a similar situation. How how are we comparing to back then and what and what happened during that GFC? What was the the, the impact? Well, the move in the GFC was probably a lot sharper than we've seen so far. So during the GDP, the GFC, we fell from around 98 cents to 60 cents in four months. So 
the move in the GFC in terms of the Aussie dollar uh, was a lot more pronounced. But that said, potentially we're only at the start of this move. But it was certainly probably a lot more pronounced. That said, there was a lot further for us to go. The GFC, the Australian dollar, had a very strong rally in the three or four years before the GFC, the Australian dollar, had rallied from close to uh, 50 cents up to around about, uh, uh, as I say, 98 cents over the four or five years before that. So this year, uh, when we've seen this turn lower, uh, the Aussie's already been under significant pressure. I mean, we've fallen from 110 uh, to 70 cents over the last seven years, and uh, this big move down from 70 cents so far this year, while it's certainly been pronounced, uh, it's not quite with the same speed and uh, magnitude that we saw in 2008. Thanks. So it's Matt again here, guys. Um, just um, so we're, now we're sitting in these low 60s. Um, do you think, from a, a export perspective, um, that that's doing enough to insulate against, say, the, the downside of uh, lower lower growth, you know, global growth, and that's going to obviously flow through to export volumes of a range of commodities, um, both agricultural and otherwise. Do you think um, the the fall in the Aussie dollar has been enough to insulate against some of that, or are the concerns still there that? Um, that we're going to, you know, have some kind of a negative impact as we start to see some of the trade figures coming through in the next few months? Well, I think the problem that we're going to see is that there's just a complete shutdown of demand uh, throughout the global economy over the next quarter, uh, potentially over the next two quarters. You think about um, the, the, the economic uh, sectors that are going to be impacted, manufacturing, um, entertainment, um, r- hotels, restaurants, there's half of the key industry sectors that make up the, the, the global economy are going to see a virtual shutdown over the next three to six months. So I think the problem is that it doesn't matter how far the Australian dollar falls, uh, there's not going to be the appetite, there's not going to be the demand. And so uh, I think a falling dollar in this case uh, isn't going to help us over the next, say, three to six months. Towards the end of this year and into 2021, it'll absolutely be uh, a great help uh, if we presume that this interruption to global economic growth plays out like others, where eventually it's resolved and we fairly rapidly switch back into uh, a more normal pattern. But for now, in the next two to three quarters, as I said, I don't think it matters how far the Australian dollar is going to fall. Uh, The demand just isn't going to be there. And with the demand that's not there, uh, it's not a matter of price that's going to change demand. It needs to actually the economic activity restart. What about uh, the US reduced their rates to you know, effectively zero? Uh, Australia is looking like they might have an emergency cut in the next couple of days. But we're obviously when we've seen those US uh, values dropped, uh, the interest rates drop, we actually saw Australian dollar drop at the same time, which you kind of wouldn't have expected that. You'd have expected the... Uh, the Australian dollar to have climbed because of the sort of interest rate differential between the two nations. What, why, why did that not happen? Why did the, the Australian dollar continue to fall even though they have we've got what, 0.5% interest rate? That's a good question. That's a really good question because you look at your economic textbooks and it's always suggested that the relative value of two currencies is driven by the relative interest rates in the two different regimes. And that's in 90% of the time. That's correct. But in times of real panic, real fear, what drives markets is a flight to safety. And in this environment, 
it doesn't really matter what's happening in interest rates. There's three markets where investors flee to. First of all, there's the US government bonds, second of all, Japanese government bonds, and third, Swiss uh, national bonds. So that's why we're seeing all the money move into the US dollar, the Swiss franc, and the Japanese yen. That's why these currencies do so well uh, during these periods. They're safe havens, and that's why we tend to see those currencies outperform during times of uh, real economic fear. So it doesn't really matter what the US does in terms of interest rates. The US dollar likely remains strong during this time of panic because US treasuries are seen as the safest security in the world. Thanks, Stephen. Um, from what I saw, now I'm not watching currencies as closely as what I used to, but um, the very first reaction to that US uh, Federal Reserve cut was a, was a jump in the Aussie, uh, albeit briefly, wasn't it, guys? And then, um, and then I, I guess um, from my perspective was the... Um, you know, once once the market had a quick chance to digest, they probably thought that um, they're factoring in that we're going to see another rate cut within Australia. So I guess do those interest rate differentials, like you said, become a bit, bit less relevant um, just because the markets are saying while well, the Australians are going to have to cut too as well? Do you think that's a potential also? That is very true. And I think also an important point to make is that interest rates are probably just not going to matter anymore in the foreseeable future with everyone's interest rates either at zero or just below zero. So we think about the last 10, 20 years, uh, there's been some huge differences between the interest rates of developed economies around the world. Uh, that's why the Australian dollar tended to outperform uh, those negative interest rate regimes like the uh, euro, like the Japanese yen. Uh, look at how it performed uh, during the first half of the last decade while uh, our interest rates were up near 5%. Uh, now it seems like the difference between interest rates will be Switzerland with minus 0.75 and probably Australia and New Zealand that will end up having interest rates at 0.25. So right throughout the whole developed world, there'll only be 100 basis points worth of difference and then adding to some of the effects that we'll get from quantitative easing and money, uh, money printing. So we might find that for the next three to five years that interest rates suddenly aren't as important as they used to be in terms of uh, the difference between two different countries' interest rates all of a sudden everyone next to or below zero. It's a bloody strange world, isn't it, when the textbooks don't uh, really marry up to reality. So, Trent, I want to bring you into it because you've been a bit bit quiet. Uh, talking about supply chains, you're, you're clearly you're working with a lot of importers and exporters. Uh, we, we've, we've looked at the, the supply chains in recent weeks. We've, uh, we've heard it from a number of our, our clients. Uh, issues around things like uh, getting access to containers uh, either for for imported product from Europe uh, and uh, or or exported product from from the US uh, and uh, from Australia into into China. So, what are you hearing on on the supply chain side of things? What what's the the big things that you're hearing? Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Great question. I mean, it's um you know with particular exposure to I guess your agri food and beverage. I think. You know, as we're seeing, you know, we're seeing indicative, you know, kind of uh, appetite out there, you know, your Coles and Woolies at the moment. You know, people are, you know, really stocking up and, 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 and concerned by, you know, what the potential for the next couple of quarters looks like. And, and I think that is translating into, you know, a healthy, you know, supply chain at the moment, at least um, on the agri-food and beverage uh, side of things. I mean, the reality is that, you know, countries are, you know, already uh, implementing lockdowns, um, you know, 
be having a tiered approach to you know people having access um, you know to, to domestic um, uh, supermarkets and, and the likes here in Australia. So you know I think you know 100% the containers on the water potentially from an import perspective out of China. Yeah, there's been some disruption. Um, however, I think uh, the agri industry itself, you know, pre and post Farmgate, um, certainly in in what we think and, and consider as a you know very healthy position at the moment to um you know continue supplying the world um i mean just indicatively speaking to a few of our uh our, our logistics companies yeah march has been has been a little softer as expected i mean um you know family friend uh, in the logistics game i think they're uh they were down about 35 percent in march uh in terms of their shipping consignments however that was coming off the back of a strong uh january and february and Positively, um, they're looking at getting all well, the schedules are starting uh, on, on landing shipments back from China, you know, here in April as well. So, you know, a bit of optimism there. Um, Export-wise, again, you know, uh, the products, you know, that, that are leaving our um, our shores and, and, and heading internationally, you know, continue to supply. Um, you know, the global demands for you know Australian product is still there, um, and you know, I don't think, or, or, or what we're hearing, I guess, what I should say is. Um, you know, until uh, there are, you know, ill detections, um, you know, people ill, that's what I mean, at, um, at port, um, you know, the government will keep these uh, these accesses open because it's an essential essential service. Um, so, you know, a little bit of optimism there, uh, you know, with, with all the negativity going on. Um, you know, the agri-food and bed space seems to be, you know, positioned well, um, you know, whilst the likes of, you know, there might be some pressure out there in hospitality, hotels and travel, as, uh, as Steve had mentioned. So... It's an interesting point there about you know when when they get infections at at port or or through the logistics chains, like at the moment you guys are Stephen and uh, and Trent are both sitting in your pajamas working from home, uh, whilst whilst we're in the office uh, in in our suits, but that's very easy for the likes of us and you to work from home because basically we're we're effectively office workers uh, for the most part, but when you look at some of the uh, our supply chain like you can't have abattoir workers working from home. And I think that's that's one of the risks that a number of our clients see is, uh, well, what happens if the, uh, the, the, the meat works close down? And that, that takes away like a big chunk of, of, of that processing kill space, uh, which then has a flow and effect to actually the, the, uh, the, the, the shelves in, in Coles and Woolies and IGA, which is, which is really a big concern because people are, are stabbing each other and whatnot over over toilet rolls but when we start sort of running out of meat on the shelves which the reality is there isn't much meat in storage it's really a just in time mm. and that, that is going to be a big a big issue and and in terms of like we we're starting to see a lot of the people we speak to probably more than 50 percent of people we speak to now are working from home you're probably seeing the same across across the the the, 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 the sort of the businesses you deal with yeah 100 percent I mean, we are only, you know, privy to it earlier this week. I think EY have, you know, effectively shut down. You know, they're, they're, uh, they're corporate offices and, and working from home. Um, and, you know, I we expect, you know, that kind of continue to roll out in, in major cities around. But you, you nailed it. Um, you know, the processing side of things, if, you know, if, if there are outbreaks there, you know, that could that could be disastrous, you know, and, and, and having to shut down already, you know, under pressure kind of, um, you know, just in time supply chains will, um, you know, that, that's kind of a situation we don't want to get into. That's why it's just so critical for these um, operations to in, to ensure, you know, perfect cleanliness and, um, you know, 
um, have their risk management strategies in place to, you know, kind of negate, um, you know, that potential outcome. It's just, you know, Australia and, and the world are just so reliant on it, particularly at the moment. Um, and until, um, you know, we, we see a real correction or, or, or turn in this or, 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 or um, you know, full control um, of the virus, so I think that, um, you know, we'll forever kind of be, um, you know, reliant on, on that, uh, that that trust and, and um and expectation of, of what's coming out of you know uh, domestic you know uh, product and I think, produce around Australia. And I think it sort of it starts to make people question a bit. And, and these sort of events, these are these, this is a big event. Like, there's no denying that it's up there with 9/11, the GFC, Second World War, those type of events. And that it will have you know reverberations for for a long time beyond this this current six month period. One of the things we're hearing is is a number of of customers talking about. Uh, their over reliance on on these really tight supply chains, and yes, they they benefited from them in the past. But the reality is now they're getting those efficiencies that they've they've really gained a lot of revenue from are actually now hurting them in the fact that they can't supply customers with with products. And I think that it will lead to probably whether it's more inventory or you know more diversified supply chains rather than having all the eggs in one basket. A good example of that is that you know there's no next to no face masks made in Australia. They're all imported from, from China, which is an issue if, if, if they close down. So I think it is making companies uh, reassess options for the future. Yeah, good point. I just wanted to um, go back to, to a topic that um, Trent had referred to with regards to some of the, the positive outlook you put on <coughs> on some some aspects of, of this virus and, and what's been happening in that supply chain. Because... Um, what you were saying, Trent, mirrored to what we've been hearing. Certainly, um, in the wool sector, initially um, we saw a, a bit of a reaction because you know, the wool market is so uh, China-centric in terms of where our wool product goes that um, it reacted poorly very, very early on in the piece. But a lot of the on-the-ground supply chain um, chatter amongst the wool industry now is that the Chinese uh, are very much trying to get get back on track. Certainly, when the wool space and and also um, trying to get supply chains moving again within China. Um, now that they've been able to, um, well, it looks like the pandemic there is at least um, slowing down in terms of infection rate. So, so that kind of um, that kind of positive spin that you know China is looking to recover and get back on track is is a helpful thing. Um, also, you'd mentioned that, you know, with some of the commodities you looked at uh, in that agri food uh, area, Trent, that there was a very strong January in terms of your trade flows, and certainly for. Um, the red meat product going out of Australia, um, we had some very good um, numbers out of January, as you were saying too, and and um, there was a bit of a dip for, for sheep meat and beef in February, um, but not as much as what I would have expected um, given some of the disruption we've been seeing, certainly first in China and now extending to the rest of the world, but I think it's going to very much depend now on um, how long it takes for, uh, everyone talks about the flattening of the curve scenario, and I think that's what um, countries now and politicians are focused on in saying that there's probably a foregone conclusion the virus is going to go everywhere, but it's a matter of containing and reducing the spread um, over so that it comes over time. Um, it, it elongates that curve and doesn't put a risk on uh, public health sectors and stuff. But the real question for me is, um, are we going to have to have a, a lockdown for a longer period of time to flatten that curve out? Um, and is that going to start to you know, kind of weigh on trade as we as we get into March, April, May? And, um, you know, are we going to continue to see reductions in volumes, uh, particularly for some of those key commodities like red meats and uh, and, and wool and, and in the agri- agricultural space at least that goes out of Australia? Um, have you got, have you, Trent, got any thoughts on that in terms of um, how long it might last, or, or even Dooley's, how long it might last? 
Um, well, I'll start and, and then maybe, um, you know, Stephen uh, can wrap it up. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's look, you just don't know at this stage. And, and I think it, it it all comes back down to, you know, what I mentioned around, you know, just controlling, you know, um, the potential spread of this. I, I think if, you know, we, we go into with a controlled, um, you know, approach, um, we're then able to continue, you know, BAU as such, you know, to a degree um, and, and manage accordingly. Like if there are, you know, high-risk areas where there is potential for infection, you know, contain. Um, it's, 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 it's pretty simple, or I think at least. Um, and, and if you're at risk, you know, um, get on the front foot um, and, you know, that can hopefully, um, you know, potentially rectify any gifts that may come in in the next few months. Um, I mean, again, I'll say it again, the demand is still there. Um, we expect, you know, um, the strong, you know, Jan, a little bit of a drop-off in Feb, as you mentioned, um, to pick back up. Um, and, you know, I, I think just on a point that, that you made, um, ironically uh, made Andrew around you know uh, looking at the eggs you know all, all your eggs in one basket I mean my old man is in the egg gap and you know he's unable to package his eggs because his packaging comes out of China um, so you know w- will you see potentially a buffer with China opening up again from the from the import perspective or sorry from you know Australian import again to help kind of you know soften out some of that supply that has been backed up here in Australia for say the last 30 30 to you know, 60 days. I don't know. Maybe that's uh, that's also some opportunity that can kind of flatten the supply curve and, um, you know, diversify, you know, what's available in the market at the moment um, due to kind of supply chain on, on the input side of things that um, that have potentially held us back. So we'll probably... Oh. Sorry, it's Dilly. You got something to say? Oh, no, go for it. I was just going to say that, you know, if they, you said that the focus is going to be on the... Um, trying to flatten the curve and that certainly sounds like the most sensible option but it's also the option that's going to have a major effect a much greater effect on uh, the global economy so that's why I certainly think over the next three to six months the economic impact can be huge sensible action to take Uh, it's going to have the smallest cost in terms of human life but it's going to have a greater economic cost but that's probably the price that we're going to have to take so I've I've been asking a question to to a lot of people when I've when I uh, been chatting to them about this because this is again the main thing that people really want to talk about is that when we've got an event you've basically got a start of an event and an end of the event. Uh, so I guess the question is and I don't know the answer I've got I've got a feeling is are we at the start of this crisis the middle of this crisis or the end of this crisis. If we're at the start of it, then there's probably a hell of a lot more pain to feel. If we're at the end, then things will start to recover. But what's what's Matt? What's your thoughts? Are we start, middle, or end? In one word, I'd say I think we're at the middle. Does that answer your question enough? Would you want me to elaborate? No, go on. Well, just as as I've alluded to just before with regards to that flattening the curve, and, and Steve Dooley was um was a bit more eloquent than me, maybe in his response. But I, I do think exactly that that to to, to um. To flatten that curve, it's going to be a bit more of a prolonged process. I mean, the easy thing and the, probably the harsh thing to say would be, what was it, the UK experience at the moment, Andrew, where they're basically saying, let's just um, try and create herd immunity and let everyone get it quickly and get over and done with. Good luck. Yeah, I don't think that's a good strategy, and I think the, 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 the most governments around the world are trying to take that approach of, um, of indeed, the flattening the curve. But, um, on, on yeah, and, and that's understandable, but... Like from a trade perspective, um, we'd probably like to see it just get over and done with and um, get it out of the way and get back to business as usual. Um, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see that. So I think at least we've got another couple, of, maybe a month, month and a half, two to go in this in this kind of process. Well, well, I think 
my, my view, I'll just put it out there that we're at the start of this and that's probably pessimistic, but then I am Scottish, so use that as an excuse. Uh, but the reality is that, you know, that the, the reality is that we are uh, only a couple of uh, weeks into this and uh, we've got still potentially some way to go. And if it's six months, it's, it's going to be like, like, uh, like you were saying, Steve, it's six months is going to be a long time. You guys, what do you guys think? Start, middle or end? Trent? I, I personally think, yeah, along the, the lines of that, um, you know, middle, you know, maybe start to middle. If, if China's anything, you know, to go by and they're, uh, and they're going through it um, or, or coming back online from, from a trade perspective, well, you know, how long's that been? You know, three months, I guess. If, if, if we can kind of replicate that, you know, that, that cycle, um, you know, start to middle and, you know, hopefully we see the end of this, um, you know, come the end of, uh, you know, end of June. But, you know, we'll, we'll see, I guess. It, it just depends how, um, you know, how it plays out, of course. But, yeah. All depends on what we class as a recovery oh. as well. So, Stephen, what, what do you <laughs> think? Start, middle or end? I think that we're going to... I'm going to have to say we're at the start. I just think to the impact on global growth by this shutdown is just going to be massive over the next quarter. Um, I think, though, in terms of how long it's been impacting on the Western world, it's been two or three weeks now. Um, I think that you know, we've probably got, at the very minimum, uh, three months. I think that this will continue to really define um, economic activity. I mean, the intervention in economic markets by um, governments, and as I say, I've just been financial markets, but I mean in retail, in shopping, in travel, in education, is unlike anything we've seen since World War II. So this is just the most significant economic event of our time. And I think we're going to find that this is the, the start of what's going to be a, uh, a pretty tough uh, quarter for the, um, for, the, uh, for the global economy. So on that really, really positive note, we'll, we'll probably... Call that a call that a day on the, on the on the chat. I think we've learned a lot from it. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks, Stephen, and thanks, Trent, for coming along. Uh, always good to share information and and have a chat. Yeah, thanks, guys. It was interesting to, to note there that um, none of us said uh, that we're at the end of the uh, the virus, but we're certainly coming to the end of this podcast. I appreciate your time, guys. It's always good to get an insight as to what's going on uh, in the broader uh, global economy there. Beautiful. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. No worries. Cheers, guys.